0: What's up everybody? This is the Trumpet Summit. My name is John Raymond, your host. We're here in the season finale of season 2 this week and I'm doing something that I've never done on this podcast up to this point. And that is have a panel discussion. And what I really wanted to do is find a band, a trumpet section that I could get with and just talk shop. And naturally, some of the first guys that I thought of were the Snarky Puppy trumpets. Mike Mazmaher, Jay Jennings, Justin Stanton. All of them amazing trumpet players in their own right. And obviously, as you know about Snarky Puppy, they're easily one of the most active touring bands in jazz. And they have been for a long time. I think they've done something like 14 or 15 records or something. These guys, in my opinion, have, have kind of codified a sound in the modern jazz realm and uh i was really eager to just talk shop with them about a whole bunch of stuff and we did that we got right in there right away they talked a lot about fundamentals and concepts of trumpet playing and their experiences and background with it they talked about what it takes to play in a band like snarky puppy from a trumpet playing standpoint like a full-time touring band and they also talked about improvising in the context of the snarky puppy music who their inspirations have been and specifically the connections between bebop and funk music which was really really great stuff so thanks so much for checking out this season you guys appreciate all of you listening here are the snarky puppy trumpets yo have you guys heard we've got brand new trumpet summit t-shirts in the house all right I got a little excited, and I had a very limited run of tees printed specifically for this season of the podcast, featuring a rebrand of the Trumpet Summit logo done by my good friend Jamie Brevick at B-Side Graphics. The design is killing, the t-shirts are super comfy, and you know there aren't any sponsors for this podcast, so if you're into it and you want to support what's going on and get something cool out of it, this is a great way to do so. So, You can get one by going to my website john-raymond.com slash store and you can find the Trumpet Summit tees there sizes small all the way to double X and it'd be a great way for you to support what's going on. Another way you can support the podcast is by picking up a PDF or a hard copy of my book The Jazz Trumpet Routine which is essentially a fundamentals book geared towards creative improvisers. Okay, It's designed to help you rethink how to go about practicing and approaching fundamentals from the perspective of a jazz trumpet player. It's designed for players of all ages, all ability levels, and the best part is that it comes with call-and-response-style play-along recordings for every single exercise. So grab a tea or pick up a copy of the book. Thank you for helping make this podcast happen. I really appreciate it. Well, you know... I checked out that trumpet hang that you guys did on Instagram on Justin's page. When was that? That was like uh, last year or something?
1: A little over a year ago.
0: That was some, uh, some trumpet nerd fest. I enjoyed it thoroughly. Me too. I learned a lot. So, you know, I've, I've got some questions that we can sort of use to sort of steer the conversation. But I guess maybe I'm, I'm curious first in terms of uh, nerdage. What have you guys been uh, nerding out on lately as it pertains to trumpet playing, improvising, et cetera?
1: Uh, for, for me, it's been Peter Evans. Ooh. Uh, I've known about Peter for like 12 years, ever since I moved to New York, and uh, but I never had a chance to meet him or see him. And then last summer, uh, Chris Bullock and I went to jazz gallery to hear his quartet. that was amazing and then I kept here I I moved to Lisbon a little over two years ago and I kept hearing his name around like I think Peter lives in Lisbon lives in Lisbon I never saw him around and then recently uh I was just at a festival just hanging uh in the Azores which is like a group of islands off the coast of Portugal and uh he was actually playing the festival it turned out so I got to hear him again and meet him and hang a little bit that was cool but Peter's always like, for me, like kind of a Mount Olympus of what can be done on the trumpet and not, not only just from like a acrobatic and academic way, but a very musical way.
0: Have you ever gotten together and played with him? No, no, God, no.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You met him though, Justin?
1: Yeah. 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 We met, Uh, hung out for just a bit. Uh, Yeah. I didn't want to bro him down too much. (laughs) Remember that Uh, one time
2: you did that thing? That was cool. Man, I guess I I haven't really... uh, I think I've been more zoned into just like a routine than anything else on the trumpet. It seems like I benefit the most that way. Um, Just consistency and... And I'm just talking about, like, trumpet. I'm not really talking about any any particular trumpet player or anything musical, really, just the physicality of the the thing. Um, It's just kind of become very apparent that the difference between zero minutes and even, like, five minutes is um, night and day with me. Um, If I can somehow manage to sneak in just, like, some mouthpiece, something... uh, it's just so much better than nothing for me. I think that's maybe one of the biggest differences I've noticed over the past couple of years anyways, mm. it's just consistency. And actually like, like it's, it has to be focused practice though. The five minutes is very focused, you know? Um, but just that, just cons- that's, that's, that's kind of my, my vibe lately is, um, trumpet maintenance, I would say. Not anything very taxing or long, you know, even that high or anything, just kind of just playing the thing because it's so easy to let it go by. That's all. Yeah, for sure. It's a simple thing, but it's, it's like, you know, it's hard to do anything every single day besides eat, sleep and go to the bathroom and you add to the list. It's like, okay.
0: Yeah, totally. What about for you, Mike? Um,
3: it, yeah, it's a, it's a it's kind of similar to Jay We're talking about routine stuff. My my um my uh my approach to trumpet has been based around a technique called the Alexander technique for like the last basically since two thousand nine. In a certain sense, I started taking lessons in two thousand and nine, and then I. I started a teacher training program in New York in 2017. Um, And it doing that work has made it become abundantly apparent to me that my success or failure on the horn is really not so much about what sort of like exercises I do, but how I do the exercises. Um, So I've gotten really cued into how my body is aligned. And so I spent a lot of time like just, um doing Alexander technique uh awareness type stuff and I find that if I can get my breathing working and my my head neck relationship and my head neck and back relationship working then everything else kind of starts to fall in place for me um that being said I've been doing a lot of expanding scales it's a Adam Bill Adam thing been doing a lot of that lately because I've I just got, you know, I feel like sometimes if you go back and forth between different things, like I did a lot of lip slurs for a long time and, and then I was doing a lot of tonguing stuff. Um, and just recently I've been doing those expanding scales. John, I'm sure you, you know about those. because
0: Yeah, definitely.
3: Yeah, just, just in, in increasing my range by going in both directions at the same time. You know, like really getting the low end of the horn and, and then expanding out. From the middle all the way down and all the way up. That's a there's so many different ways to approach the range thing, but that that's one way. And and for right now it's effective because I think it's working my relationship to range in a in a way that I hadn't been working it recently. So right now it's like, okay, let's work it this way, and then you know, probably in a year or so I'll go back to doing it in a different way.
0: Man, have I uh have I sent you guys my I guess you could call it like an adaptation on the expanding scales. Have I sent you guys that?
3: No, I mean, I, I honestly just, uh, Eric bloom, um, recommended that I, that I try them. So I only learned about that particular exercise like a month ago, maybe. Oh, nice.
2: I don't know what y'all are talking about with this expanding scales business. What's what's happening here?
3: Yeah. It's, it's basically like you're playing scales, um, the, the one that I have or that Eric showed me was starting to G in the staff and play up to the sixth, play up to E in, in a major scale, Ionian, um, and hang on the E, you know, so you're sort of just like um,
2: at the top of the
3: at the top. Yeah. So if I were to sing it, it'd be I don't know where G is, but
2: <laughs> and
3: then go down a half step. <laughs> right, so you're going down in half steps, and then you're expanding. You know, you go to the, I don't know, you go to the
2: sixth. Changing keys yeah. and adding an interval every time.
3: You're adding an interval, and it doesn't necessarily go like super diatonically, but yeah. So, like when you get down to E flat, you're going up to B flat. When you get down to D, you go up to C. When you get down to D, you to you down to D flat, you go up to. B. D flat so you're already at two octaves and you're at your C sharp above your high C and then by the time you get to C you're you're going to D and then B you're going to D sharp so you're already it expands pretty quickly but I find that like I don't know it just sort of like changes the way my I approach the getting to that part of the horn mentally especially yeah
0: I just sent you guys this uh this sort of thing that I did with it because I I learned it years ago because I studied with an Adam student, Bob Baca, who teaches up in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. And um, so I've known about it for a long time. But I was always kind of I, I found it kind of funny that like it would like skip certain notes, like either on, like as you go down or as you go up. And sometimes the scales, like you said, would be like diatonic. Sometimes they wouldn't be. So I kind of was just like, okay, well, let's go just chromatically and figure out a way to, to do that where you like hit a bunch of different modes and stuff. So that's my nerdy contribution to this uh, conversation.
3: Yeah, it is. It is strange. Like, like why? <laughs> yeah, it, it it sort of seems like a little random. Like when you get to our D, then all of a sudden you're going to the seventh, and or like G goes to the seventh instead of like the major seventh, the dominant seventh instead of the major seventh. It's like. I mean, I don't really care. Cause like, for me, it's just like, I'm just trying to I'm just like, whatever. So just let's, yeah, I'm not I'm thinking about it modally or diatonically. It's like, it's really just a range thing, but that's cool. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm looking forward to see that.
2: Sometimes I'll, I'll stumble across like a high note that I haven't hit before, you know, how that happens. That's always fun. And, but like, I think, I think like approaching the high note from a different, different way like some of these scales do uh can be beneficial I could see how it could maybe be cool you know
3: actually reminds me Jay uh, at the ground up music fest a couple weeks ago I remember you and I were talking about that Adam Rappa um
2: yeah I've been watching a lot of his videos
3: yeah there's a there's a video where he, he talks very concisely about the tongue position and about thinking of high notes as uh a whistle
2: mm-hmm. right
3: you know and right. that has been a, just that idea
2: and watching him play is ab- absolutely phenomenal yeah uh, looks pretty effortless with that guy totally yeah the idea of that whistle it's kind of like the way that i've i think maybe even uh practicing practicing has even kind of helped me in a way kind of process however that whistle kind of i think it's more of like a thought than anything for me it, it kind of I, I wanted to piggyback off of what Moz was saying earlier anyway about the alexander technique because i i don't use the alexander technique but i have been like my way of breathing has changed when i practice I would say for the past like two years, ever since I had to like take a break off the horn for about six weeks, I started noticing my breathing was all kind of jacked up. And um, man, really focusing on my breathing has taught me a lot about where the air can come from and how much of it you actually need to use, like that whistle tone um, that we were talking about. It, It surprised me so much when I started using the practice mute how little the amount of air that I was using to get these notes that I had never gotten before. And I know that it's not the same when you open it up and you play that way, you know, you have to put more air through the, the horn to produce that sound that you want. But with the practice, mu- the, the feeling is there, the feeling that I had never had before, uh, you know, the notes that I had, I had never heard come out of my horn before, even though they're really whisper quiet, like I wasn't trying very hard to, to get it. I kind of stumbled across it, you know, um, but it was just kind of where the air was coming from for me. It, was, it needs to come from, you can't see this part of my body, but my belly.
0: Mm, like your core.
2: Yeah, my lower abdomen core um, area. That's all. I mean, not <laughs> that's not all, but that was a big one for me. No, for sure. It's kind of almost like borderline meditation for me when I like actually do it, you know, because um, it takes that much focus for me to get anything done these days
0: no i hear you but i feel like uh as you said earlier like really good practice is, or i mean even just good playing is very focused in in some way shape or form like there's this there has to be this sense of concentration even if you're not um like over you you don't want to be overthinking about anything right because then you're kind of creating mental tension but there's this sense of being sort of like dialed into the to the moment that we've all experienced, you know.
1: I think the practices in the this thing that Jay's talking about, though, the meditation, because like when you're performing, there's you're not.
2: It's I, don't, I, I don't
1: think you should be thinking about that anymore, right?
2: Absolutely, because
1: then you're second guessing yourself. It should be all about the moment, and you've like practiced this feeling and this behavior in order to do it what we hope is automatically if that makes sense
2: yeah it's like muscle memory type of stuff so that there's um, not
1: too much self-analysis and when when you're performing
2: yeah i totally think about that stuff when i'm performing unfortunately
1: <laughs> that's what our Jade te- jay e. saunders always used to say that he's like if you're thinking about all because he used to it was a, a lot of focus on the physicality of playing and he used to use all these visualizations and analogies and he's like, if you're thinking about this on the bandstand, it's too late. It's like the, the, the work happens in the practice room. And then when you go on stage, the idea is that you're doing this stuff. You've taught your body to do this stuff. You've trained it, conditioned it
0: in a way. Right. No, I totally hear you. I mean, it, the way I've heard it said too is kind of like a like a pregame ritual kind of vibe where like you're getting your head and you're getting your body in shape you're you're getting ready for the game, and then when it's game time, you just play right. you, know, you don't psychoanalyze like you're saying
1: right i mean, i guess- I guess you can check yourself every now and then. I think Moz would probably attest to this, like you're kind of you i guess you check in with yourself every now and then like am i are my shoulders raised up, or am I like holding tension in my chest or stuff like that? I guess that is important to, I just never find myself thinking about those things on stage versus like when I'm in the room by myself, at least as much.
0: Totally. Well, then I think, you know, probably on that line, that's why the practicing side of things is so crucial. Like or the consistency is because you're building these habits that you ultimately want to become second nature so that when you get on stage, you're, you're not thinking and it, just your body is doing the things that it needs to do to, make everything work efficiently or something
1: right yeah so like where's the balance between the routine and then like knowing what your body needs every day because it needs different things every day so it's like if you have a routine that sort of covers a lot of bases if you're covering tonguing lip slurring long tones scales chromatic stuff octaves range expanding intervals and then you're kind of like well this this feels pretty good right now i can probably move on so that you're kind of always balanced, and it's and it, and it also ties back into what Jay was saying about the meditation. That it's just being focused with your body and what what you need, rather than like mindlessly going through things. I was just listening to this master class somebody was given on Max Sloshberg. and he was saying how a lot of people I can't remember the guy's name that was giving the master class. Um, is it Tom? Does Tom Stevens sound right?
3: Yeah, Thomas Stevens. No, yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. He was saying how like a lot of people didn't feel great about the guy who made the Schlossberg book. I guess compiled the exercises. Like, well, yeah. And I've also heard this about the Carmen Caruso stuff. That like, it basically, I think the point is, is like, what good are the exercises unless you know the purpose behind the exercise? The exercises won't do any work for you. So it's Mm -hmm. like. You have to know the intention of the exercise. What is the goal of the exercise? The exercise is not a means, in and of itself. So, yeah, and I think that ties into like sort of the warm up thing and like what Jay is saying. Like, what do we do? What are we doing here? Yeah,
2: exactly. What's the point? <laughs> exactly. It doesn't take
1: care of itself. What are and we doing I, here? The mind has to be engaged with the exercise in a meaningful way.
2: When I was a younger you know, having lessons with Jay Saunders and him like preaching me that gospel and me just like hearing it in one ear and it just going right out the other. Like I, I wasn't able to process that information at that age, uh, with, with as many years as I had spent on the horn, uh, at that time, there was, I I guess for me, there was no way for me to do that. Or I didn't believe him, you know, because like, I just figured he was just like, cause I, 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 you know, we all saw him play and it's like, he didn't play, he didn't perform that way. You know, he just practiced that way at home. Like he's saying like focused practice, but like, I don't know, man, like it took me a long time. It took me till like, I don't know, a couple of years ago to like really start like focusing my, my practice. I I relied a lot on performing live a lot. And I think when the pandemic hit and I had like a, some time off the horn, I was just like, God, what, like Justin said, what are we doing? (laughs) What are we doing here? You know, with this, with this thing that I'm putting against my face every day, you know, there's, and I, the phrase, you know, work smarter, not harder applies so well to the trumpet. Mm -hmm. You know,
3: I don't know how, how, how long you want to go on this, John, you know, or if you want to kind of redirect, but, You know, like I'll say that there are times these days when I when I'll start playing and I'll notice, you know, something very specific. Like I'll notice like wherever my tongue is like hanging out or wherever it's like sort of habitually like what it's doing in my body. I'll notice, okay, that's not going to work. You know, that's 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 a way of playing that I don't want to support. I don't want to I don't want to direct my mental energy into into continuing to do it that way. And I'll spend, I'll actually spend this maybe sounds kind of crazy, but like it, it's absolutely is the difference between success and failure. Like I'll spend time just hold actually holding the horn and just paying attention to my whole body, letting all my weight release into my feet and, and experimenting with how my overall balance is affecting the way that my tongue is hanging out in my in my throat. I don't know, I don't know if that makes any sense but if you think about it a couple steps further your tongue is is part of the musculature system it is a muscle in itself and it's part of it interacts with the muscles that are keeping you in balance as well. You know, in 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 um in conjunction with your arms that are holding the horn. So paying a little bit of attention to that. And, and just, so I'll just spend some time just breathing and noticing what's going on with that. And then finding a way, finding that release, that sort of that Adam Rapp is talking about, and then um, find the coordination that needs to happen and then take a breath and then play. And often I notice, Oh, okay. What was happening there where it's like, I didn't feel like I was getting the resonance that I needed all of a sudden there it is
2: yeah see this you know, is what i'm talking about when i say focused practice
3: right <laughs> and and when you said when you said work smarter not harder because you notice like i'm not getting the resonance that i want i, I what i don't do is i don't just continue to play yeah. there's something that's going on that's a coordination thing that needs to be addressed and it and it often if we don't take the time to address what's happening in our body which ultimately is the instrument yeah I'm convinced
1: you know? that that's the Schlossberg thing is like, I don't know. I, I'm convinced that that's what you're, the goal of the exercise is, is like you're going through any kind of potential motion and yeah. event on the trumpet. And then if you're not, if it's not feeling right, like the warm up is you're trying to capture the feel of the trumpet yeah, so that you can move on with your day. That's and gracious. it probably shouldn't be any more or any less. Then what you need to do it's you know it's the routine up to a point but only to satisfy like checking in with your fundamentals yeah. so it's like yeah that yeah exactly what Maz is saying it's like if you, you don't just do the exercise well that didn't quite feel right but fuck it
3: right it'll feel right tomorrow it's like no it, it will have yeah. why didn't it feel right That's like right. how I need to think, and that's the working smarter, not harder. Like I need to think through why it didn't feel right. You know, I mean, you know, I've, I've been noticing Jay, like on the gigs that we've been doing, doing a lot of stretching before gigs and stuff like that, like, you know, or, or people, you know, the, the um, stamp book has all those breathing exercises where you bend over you're breathing into your back and all that. And this is all like smart stuff. And the Slosberg thing, I was doing the work stuff a few months ago. I got into that for a little while and you can tell just by doing the exercises that they're very much focused on trying to get you to feel like um, how, how to use your air. It's not just about like the, the exercises. It's like, there's a guy who does those exercises online. He like, it's like a, I forget his name, but he's got a YouTube page and he like goes through the exercises like and gives the time for you to play in response to him. It's mm. like a teacher somewhere, but um, I was doing that for a while. And, and yeah, it just it became super apparent. Like, Oh, this is about, you know, it's kind of like the Caruso thing with the timing. Like this is about, um, you know, playing, you know, Caruso was all about like very much like getting uh, specifically in time so that you know, it's not just like, oh, you're going to play these notes. It's like you want to coordinate the entire body so that when the tongue releases that note into the, or when the tongue releases the airstream into the mouthpiece, it's like you're coordinating your entire body. And that's the idea.
0: So I'm wondering if you guys have experienced something like this. Um, for me, so like I said, I studied with an Adam student and I, I, I kind of came up that way learning all that stuff and that way of speaking about it and sort of this idea of like everything coming from the imagination of, of hearing the sound and, and sort of like visualizing the sound and then doing it, right? And essentially trusting that your body will just respond to what you're imagining and then you, you just do that. I've noticed over the years for me, as I've dialed that in more and I feel like I can hear more clearly... In my mind, the kind of sound I want to play with, whether I'm doing like a Schlossberg exercise or I'm like improvising or I'm doing something else that I can actually start to notice I become aware of my body changing, Uh, like let's say my posture changing, right? Or my breathing changing, or I become more aware of where the tongue is or what the tongue is doing or et cetera, et cetera all because of this thought that's becoming clear, which is like the sound in my head. Like I feel like I've kind of gone about it from a, like a reverse standpoint, maybe compared to to some, I don't know. Have you guys experienced that at all? Or has it has it generally been like the other way where like you're you're working on breathing or you're working on this and that and that's helping you become more aware
2: of a sound or something? I, I think I have experienced a little bit of that um, via another route. Like um, I've noticed that happening with my relative pitch uh, getting better over time. And when I take time to like just test myself from muscle memory, like usually like right now, I don't really have reference of where like a concert F is. Like, I don't really have that in my head right now. But if I were to pick up my trumpet and hold it without, like, blowing into it, I could just hold it right here, the pitch would would become clearer as I, as I just, like, held my trumpet right here. Mm-hmm. And then I would be like, oh, shit, yeah, that's a concert up, And then I would sing it, and then I would play it. And so I could kind of, I could, as, as far as pitch goes, I could hear the pitch before I played it. I wasn't really concentrating on tone or sound, but just pitch. So I did kind of, I feel like I did a little bit experience that just through, just organically, you know, it happening over time. Um,
3: that interesting. Well, that's, that's never really been a thing for me. I've, I've heard that a lot, like the going for the sound. I, I will say when I was, I think, sort of subconsciously that was always happening when I was younger, especially with like, listening to Miles's sound particularly, you know, and him playing ballads or whatever, um, where I was attempting to emulate that sound. Um, and I can see how that would be a thing, particularly for someone who has spent a lot of time, like just coordinating all the sort of the basic, what I would say, like the, like a good coordination of overall, like sort of bodily use when you're playing trumpet. I, my history with the horn was, this is why I think I got into the Alexander technique stuff because my, when I started playing the horn, I, I, just chose as a very young person I started playing when I was eight and I was really interested in music and I was playing all sorts of different instruments and I was learning about music in a way that I thought was I feel even now that was really good because it was it was not really instructed it was sort of like learning from recordings and learning by ear a lot and that has been huge for me in terms of my relationship to music but the the downside of that is I had zero discipline and zero instruction in my trumpet playing when I was young. I really didn't start to think about like the particulars of producing sound on the horn until I got to college, frankly. Um, and so I think I was always producing sound, getting to a sound. Um, and most of the time, not actually getting to the sound, but thinking I was getting to the sound in ways that were very um, not coordinated and not easy, and all this kind of stuff. And so, I've spent a lot of time in my older years um, re coordinating, you know, and like realizing, oh my God, this thing that I've been working on or working so hard to do for so long is actually really easy if you just coordinate it this way. You know, which is why I guess to a certain degree, I kind of preach the gospel of all this, like Alexander technique and like all that kind of stuff now, because for a lot of time it was, it was, um yeah. So to answer your question, John, you know, if, if that was happening for me or if it ever did happen for me, I think it was kind of to a fault because I, I, I started doing that maybe too early and, and didn't spend really any time with anyone saying, Hey, look, like. You know sit tall keep your you know don't like take your whole chest and like bring it towards the horn when you want to go higher because it's just going to close off your windpipe you know whatever like simple things like that uh
1: yeah i think it's a it may yeah kind of what Moz is saying it's like if you have the idea for the sound it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get it the, the right way. I mean, you know, there's guys who say, like, yeah, it's when everything's happening correctly, then you get the sound that you want. But we've all seen examples of the like wrong way, but people get good results. So I don't know. For me, it's always like oscillating back and forth. So, like, if I'm doing my warm up routine, I'll go through phases where it'll be like intensely focused and like on the physicality of whatever's happening and then i'll feel like at a certain point i'm not getting like the sound that i want and then it's like okay let's just let's just try to do it and like play it as perfectly as possible the way that i would like i'm playing it for an i'm playing my warm-ups for an audition you know so i'll do that for a while but then i'll sort of start to get self-conscious because i feel like Moz i feel like I went for so long thinking I was getting a good sound without thinking about the physicality of what I was doing and developing bad habits as a result. So then it's like, okay, let's switch back, you know. So I feel like it's important. It's not like an either or kind of situation. I think it's good to just kind of meander back and forth between those two realms so that you're always kind of checking yourself with your ears and your body.
3: Ultimately, we're trying to go for music and art and sound. Yeah. So it does like to that, get
1: there. But Herseth said, like, he's like, I never thought about, you know, I think he famously said, like, oh, yeah, I never thought about Never played, never warmed up or something. He's just like play. Well, that's fine if you play textbook perfect trumpet and you're doing everything right. But for the rest of us mortals. Yeah. OK, mm-hmm. we, we got to check back in, make sure. My lips not sticking out like a balloon, you know, or whatever.
2: I think we all, um, to some extent, relied on the uh, the creative side of our brains. Um, I think I'm just speaking for the, the Justin and Moz and myself. Like Moz talked about it, I, I think Moz was a little bit more extreme because of he started earlier than I did, and just relied on his ear so much and playing all different kinds of instruments and and I was like brought up through the band program playing trumpet but
0: I mean to me one theme here is that we all just learn differently and we all have different experiences and so certain things that work for one person might not work for another person or they you might interpret it a certain way like I remember your uh, the Instagram hang you guys talked about this too you know you were talking about like the experience that we all have colors the lens of how we hear a, a certain you know pedagogical concept or like a certain thing about the body or the the sound or whatever it might be and so it's almost like just getting to know yourself of like okay how am i interpreting this and how can i put all these things together so that. I can actually make music in a way that I want to make music. Yeah. Which, which is hard. I mean, it takes a long time.
3: Yeah. The, the self, the, like the self-knowledge, um, I mean, that's, that's another thing that has been a huge, uh, I remember the moments in, in my Alexander technique training, which is a long training. I've been doing it for five years. It's a 1600 hour program. Um, there's been a lot of
2: aha moments like right now
1: (laughs) that was
0: the perfect time to freeze that was unbelievable
2: man wow i I thought he was like literally like in in deep thought (laughs)
1: typical i think Moz just had the same internet issue there he is
0: Man, it was amazing. You you just said like I had these aha moments, and then you froze.
2: froze. Uh, John,
1: John, I'm, so, I'm, I'm actually so glad you're recording this Zoom. Yeah, you can just <laughs> cut that out and send that to all of us. I will. <laughs> yeah.
2: Please There's send that. Really, a lot of, really, of, us a lot of really great editing
3: opportunities. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, um, I think the idea of thinking can be really myopic like we assume that everybody that first of all that everybody thinks the same way and and that's not true and then we also assume that there's only one like mode of thinking and that's also not true like there's a conscious like sort of written word type of thinking where um you write things down based on a language that we created in order to communicate with each other, to, to communicate concepts and even abstract ideas. And it's, you know, language and, and literal verbal thinking is, is really, it doesn't encompass the, the totality of our experience and what our minds can do. You know, even just the kinesthetic ability of some people, some people have this incredible ability to understand how their body is moving in space you know, Um, and that is a type of thinking. It's a mode of thinking that can't really be expressed in words. And so I think that's why we have these problems a lot where, you know, a writer like a Schlossberg or a Caruso will attempt to write in the introduction to these books, this idea, like, this is what it, this is what my body feels like. This is what the feeling of playing, you know, a triple C is, you know, Um, you know, and in some, in some ways, like, I don't know. I mean, it just requires, I think maybe just that we be a little bit more patient. And again, go back to like the, the idea that of using, of paying a little more attention, like really, like Justin said, what are we doing here, you know? And if it's not working, you know, see if we can access other modes of our intelligence. I don't know where I went with that. <laughs> maybe I went somewhere.
0: No, it, it's great, man. I, this is a, uh, this is what this is all about. This is awesome. Um, I want to change gears a little bit and maybe ask you guys uh, a couple specific questions about playing at snarky puppy and you know, all the years that you've been doing this. Um, maybe first, for, just from like a trumpet standpoint, um I guess, you know, I have a couple questions in mind. One is um uh, what's been helpful to you over the years just to like do the gig really well from from a trumpet playing side of things. And then um I guess along with that, like to me it's very notable that you know, you guys are arguably one of the most touring bands in the world, at least from an instrumental music side of things. And so you're constantly dealing with maintenance on the road, um, both bodily, mentally, emotionally, you know, trumpet playing wise, etc. Um, I'd love to hear you guys talk about that as well, if you wouldn't mind. But anyways, I guess the first question is just like, how do you how do you do the gig just from like a trumpet playing standpoint? Um, what's helped over the years?
1: Buzz you play the most trumpet on the gig. You should answer first.
3: Yeah. I think it's all the same stuff we've been talking about. I mean, actually it's, it's interesting right now because we, we just jumped up another level um, in terms of size of venue. Um, Generally snarky puppy plays like anywhere between like 1000 to like at the most like 10,000 people rooms. Um in like like in the festival settings and we've been opening for steely dan you know for like a week a little more than a week and all of a sudden now it's like every gig is between 17,000 and 25,000 people you know um and it's thankfully it's still a pretty short set um it's a 45 minute set that we're doing as they're opening but that's a huge you know like i feel it um in my body I've been feeling it in my body and I felt it thankfully I, I think I'm mature enough now to have noticed it immediately like okay this is a giant space that I'm putting sound into now this is a much bigger space than I'm accustomed to putting sound into don't try to force my sound into all this space mm-hmm. sit back relax <laughs> you know mm-hmm. and allow the air to do the work and the microphone to do the work and this ridiculously enormous space you know but even then i felt you know my um my body working harder than it has in the past um and i think that's just a thing that you know again talking about the that instagram hang that we had rashawn ross said something during that that i will never forget he said uh, you know that it's it's possible to get blue collar chops, which I thought was hilarious. And what he what he meant by that was like, if you play a gig, you know, Snarky plays different tunes every night. But I can imagine if I if we played the same set every night, it would be this to to an even further degree. Which is the the blue collar chops. Is the blue collar chops is like you know somebody who's got a blue collar job like goes and does the same job every day and and as a trumpet player that I think can happen if you're playing every night even if you don't practice your body is somehow hopefully in a way that is coordinated and and effective and efficient you know your body is getting used to doing the work and and I've definitely felt that on this gig and you know that's one of the advantages when we play like you know we in the early days we'd play 22 29 days in a row you know which is absurd. And we'd be not sleeping and driving ourselves from and to, and from each gig and loading the gear in and out ourselves, you know, and I do remember that, you know, in those days, especially there was a thing of just like, just being so tired, not even like caring in a sense, like not even having the ability to like, care about things like a nice long relaxed warm up or something like that but then getting on the gig and being like oh well there it is you know there's something happening here that's that's there you know of course i wouldn't recommend that anybody do that but yeah there is a there is a degree of blue collar chops happening and then outside of that everything that we just talked about you know the type of this tour as we've all been getting back into touring, I'm talking about the world now. um, I've noticed for myself that the things that have been important is I've recognized that I sort of lost a little bit of my ability to be social. So I've needed to monitor myself in that way, that I don't get like overwhelmed by being around too many people all the time. And then I give myself the time that I need to like be healthy for myself, both physically and mentally and emotionally. And then, uh, and then what I've been really trying to do, particularly during this tour um, is to be really healthy in other ways, like not drinking too much, not smoking too much. And even I, I actually quit uh, drinking coffee because I've, I noticed that that just had an effect and sort of like calmed me down. And I'm not saying that, like, I do this all the time, but I do, when we go out on the road, I do tend to like, sort of a little bit, cause I do find when you're on the road, you're already dealing with an extreme situation where you're not getting enough sleep, where you're getting crammed into little places that vehicles, and then you're on stage in front of lots of people exerting a lot of energy. So it's like, you, you know, I, I find that, those types of things like having a drink or, or eight, you know, I do that a lot more at home because I have, you know, I can afford to be rough the next day.
0: <laughs> sure. Like you kind of have to keep your body on high alert almost or something.
3: That's kind of where i that's what I've been doing on this tour, especially as we've been getting back into it. Cause I think my, my road chops are still building back up. Mm.
0: What about for you guys, Jay and Justin? Just like uh, trumpet playing in the context of Snarky Puppy. like What's helped you over the years?
2: Uh, I, up front, I'll say that the stuff that we've been talk, uh, mainly preaching the whole time about focused practice and breathing correctly and all that trumpet stuff that you need to be focusing on that I only recently have been focusing on. Um i i just wish i would have done it years ago when we were playing so many so many dates um in a row like that like what Moz was talking about and um yeah i i think something that happens organically in this trumpet section Um, that we don't really even have to talk about. We can just kind of toss around Is just like, you know, like high note responsibilities or who's going to play the top harmony part on what. Um, Recently, we did this record in Dallas and normally Justin is playing keys as well. So he might be a little separate from us, but we can always see him and we can always hear him. Um, But... I don't know we didn't even really talk about like who was going to play what part at this point because we've been doing it for so long it just kind of happened and i feel like moz maybe you can back me up on this when we played down the sets it was just kind of like nobody was really that tired at the end of the set because we passed it around so in in, in in a nice in a nice way now ideally that's that's what happens on every set you know it's just kind of like sharing the responsibilities of that that kind of stuff and just just so nobody gets um extra tired i guess so it's kind of that work smarter not harder mentality on the gig um that's helped a lot with this crew and I, you know i've in other ensembles i've had to kind of work harder to talk about that sort of stuff you know um and a lot of times You know, we're fortunate. There's three trumpet players in this band, which is a luxury. You know, um, when you're the only trumpet player, that's a different kind of talk, I think, because you have to do all that inner monologue and you're (laughs) you're the only person you're literally preaching to yourself, but you have to listen. It's very, very focused kind of a thing. Mm. Um, Yeah. And then Trump, it's like maintenance on the road. All the stuff that Maz was talking about with the taking care of your body and and not eating terribly and all that is just, you know, as we get older, I think is becoming more apparent to me uh, that it's necessary. Stretching has also become a big thing for me. Can't really do much without fucking stretching. <laughs> <laughs> like, like Like anything. <laughs> Like anything, it... <laughs> not gonna get very far without a little
3: stretch in there. But and, you know, uh,
2: I th- I think that the hardest part of the, of the gig with Snarky Puppy, honestly, is just the 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 tax that you pay for for traveling. Traveling is so hard on the on the the mind and body. Recently, <coughs> I had such a it was just a one off trip. It was everything went so smooth. It was great. And then, like on my on my flight home, I just had like the worst seat mate, and like something like that can just like, you know, ruin your whole day. So yeah, there's that part of it. You know, I my wife calls the airports my office, which is kind of true. It's funny, but it's kind of true. Like the airports are kind of like our office around the world. We have shared office space with the world's worst. Co-workers, (laughs) (laughs) Co-workers, <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: I'd have to agree with what uh, what ma said about it being like being a gig. I, I, obviously, endurance plays into it, but it's like you work the muscle of the gig. So for us, it, it can be different things, and and luckily in this band, there's no like, there's at least with the horns, there's very little bullshit of like lead versus you know like this ego shit so everybody's in it together because we've all we've all done all the traveling all the gigs so there's no bullshit no one's got time for like everybody understands like the off days versus the on days all this stuff so everybody's very giving towards each other in that way and very humble which is is a blessing um but I think, like, yeah, we all kind of fill different roles at different times in the gigs. Like, yeah, I do play keys, so sometimes the trumpet's more limited. So then it becomes more like an orchestral gig where I've counted, like, 500 measures of rest, but then I've to play fucking shofu at the end of the set after not having touched the horn for two hours. Uh, and sometimes it goes well, sometimes it doesn't. Recently it has not. Uh, but it's getting back. And I think that is sort of contributing to this idea or it's contributed to by the idea of it being a muscle that hasn't been worked in a long time that's being worked now it's learning it's that other discipline that maybe we don't get in the warm-up of this like real world muscle of like okay Mm. how do you how do you how do you write a warm-up exercise for resting for two hours and then playing a high b as a grace note into a g sharp is there a warm up for that? I don't know if don't there is made one write the book and I'll buy it <laughs> because it's you hard
3: know, to do. It is hard story. to do it. Justin's done it. Justin's done it a million pretty much the whole entirety of this band ever since that, that, that tune got written. But I will say if anybody cares or is interested that that is the, what I was talking about with the developing that mindfulness and awareness of like, Oh, I know that I'm aligned here in my body, and then it, you know, it uh, being able to be kind of warmed up without without having the horn on your lips, just a little, just a little that in there. But I'm not gonna.
0: Okay, so here's sort of a follow-up question. So obviously, one theme here that all three of you have talked about is that. Basically, the habit of doing the gig regularly is part of the gig like it it helps you be able to be able to do it, right getting in the rhythm and the flow of road life, playing on stage every night, et cetera so maybe a follow up question to this would be like if a trumpet player out there wants to prepare themselves to play in a band like Snarky Puppy. Or frankly, just play in any band that's touring regularly and has to meet certain musical demands. What do you guys think is most helpful on the preparation end? Like how do you go about getting yourselves ready for an opportunity like what you guys are doing?
3: Man, I gotta say, there's a there's a part of me. I was just thinking as we were having this conversation, I was thinking about the comp Basie band and, th- and thinking about these recordings of like them playing i'm trying i can't remember the name of the tune what's the tune that's like little darling you know like a band that large being able to do that together is not something that happens without being on the road you know what i mean i mean that's In my opinion, anyways, I mean, that's a certain thing where like everybody has to have had all the time to be like, oops, I messed it up, you know, like, oh, and and it has to have happened in a performance situation because the performance, the, the mind where the people are there and you're doing that thing, that really can only happen in performance ultimately.
1: Yeah, it's the coordination of like a band as one instrument. It's like we, we've been like Keith Carlock's playing drums with Steely Dan and like the group, all the grooves. Is, I mean, it just feels gigantic. The grooves that he's playing. You're talking about the space between the notes, but you're also only talking about one person. So then when you extrapolate that to Count Basie and you have what, 15 people doing it, 16 people doing it at one time like that's another animal and yeah like ma said that takes time to 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 develop the coordination the collective coordination
3: right and and the and and the the, yeah the the gig the gig then the gig is the exercise like and there's no you can't do the exercise unless there's a gig and a lot of them in a row Hmm.
0: okay so changing gears a little bit um in terms of like improvising uh you know i would say f- from my knowledge of your guys' music a lot of the improvising contexts you're in are kind of vamp based generally um so i'm curious you know y- you all are uh are great jazz trumpet players you've studied the music a lot um so I'm curious how, like, playing in that sort of vamp-based context, um, how have you found being able to take all the things that you've learned and being able to put it in that context? What's worked? What hasn't? This could be in terms of language or concept or, um, I don't know, it's a totally open book. But I guess I'm, I'm really curious to talk about this with you guys, because I think especially now in the kind of music that's being put out these days, it's... It tends to be more vamp-oriented, maybe than uh, than like having a ton of changes, right? So you're talking about
1: solo sections being vamps specifically,
0: yeah? Mm -hmm. Because
1: I feel like our music is very much not vamp-based music. Mm. I feel like people are are writing songs,
3: yeah, yeah, definitely with
1: multiple sections. The the solo sections can be vampish. In, in, in the terms that you're not soloing over, like an AABA form, like on a jazz standard,
0: sure, for sure. And that's that's exactly, I guess, what I'm meaning um, is that these solo sections are not AABA, right? You know, um, they're they're a different format. And so, I guess I'm I'm asking, like, how do you approach playing, improvising over these in, in these little moments?
1: Uh, there's uh, the, the 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 good thing about this. I mean, with any any band that plays a lot, I think you have to. I, I, I think there's fatigue and trying to bring something new to the music night after night. Luckily, this is a band where we have freedom within the parameters of the composition. to Do that. Um, that being said, you know it's like sometimes the well does run dry, but. I think generally speaking, there's a lot of room to, to go different places. So it's really, you know, you're limited by your imagination to create something, whether it's like a, a groove or an improvisation, but it's really just communicating with people on stage. I feel like the older I get, the more I'm drawing parallels between the way people play music and the way they interact in daily life. And you know, the times I feel like I'm playing best and saying something that's most interesting while improvising is when I'm the most open and listening to others. And what the times I feel like least inspired and then I'm playing at my worst is when I'm in my little bubble on stage and thinking about the next best thing to play, whatever I'm perceiving that as in any given moment. So, it's really, I, I, I feel like when, when it comes to improvisation, it's like we're treating it as much as like anybody like in a quote unquote jazz context would treat it in terms of being in the moment and communicating on stage, like being inspired by you know, models like the mid 60s, Miles Davis Quintet or you know, Wayne Shorter's Quartet of 20 years plus, like anything like this where there's a high degree of interaction But then also bringing like this groove thing, to where like there's always this simmering thing happening of, um, you know, people being engaged in in a in a movement in a dance sort of way.
0: Can I ask a follow up question to a word you just said? You just said simmering, which I love that. Could you talk more about what you mean?
1: Yeah, uh, maybe the one thing, the thing that doesn't happen a lot with this band that maybe happens more in, in in sort of a more jazz or improvisational music context is like there's so much emphasis in the band placed on groove that the bottom never really falls out of anything. There's always like some sort of momentum, whether it's realized or tacit. Like if it's like, there's always that feeling of momentum. And I think Mike, League has kind of cultivated that to where like that's the ethos of the band that they' we don't really go out on the tightrope in that like rhythmic way maybe as much as like a as like a jazz group or something I don't know what do you guys think
2: it's hard to articulate for for me, so bear with me but the uh the feeling that I get as a soloist in snarky puppy is definitely like one of the most comfortable um you know experiences that i have as a soloist ever it's and it's it's because of the amount of time i've spent with these people on uh, a musical level and outside of you know any musical level just living with them for however many years you know um and i always say like when i'm teaching um younger people, I always, I refer to it as, like, a an aural bliss moment, you know, um, that that moment that you strive to get to while you're practicing all these, you know, monotonous routines that we've been talking about all day, um, to get to this moment where you're, where you have the opportunity to express yourself freely with the comfort of such a good, um, support group you know as a soloist walking into that room that they're already in simmering like you said like walking into that space is like one of the most freeing feelings that i get to have um and i think that just literally does take time to develop um as a group um that you know even even playing the most familiar songs that we all know and practice in a different group in like a you know like a quartet or something and i don't quite have that same feeling of support behind me and i think it, it it's more than just like a it's more that oh yeah these guys definitely know the music it's like oh these guys know me you know what i mean like before i before i so mm-hmm. that, you know and that like like justin was saying mike league does a great job of kind of being aware of that in the moment and since like that i think that's why a lot of times mike will will kind of choose who he wants to solo next it's because there's this feeling that he gets and he's like "Ooh yeah chris Bullock," you know and he'll look at chris and do it because cause it sounds and feels like chris and like to i don't you know i don't know how to to get to to that point without spending just a shitload of time with people and, and, and playing with them.
3: Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's, it. this is all uh, good, true stuff. I, I think if I were to add anything, I would say like, you know, for the most part, this is a band that's about compositions. If we're talking about snarky puppy, it's about compositions. And, and I do think that for one, like what's really nice is that, there's a lot of songwriters in the band and there's a lot of people who appreciate songwriting. And I, I think the songs in this band kind of do a lot of the work for you as an improviser, which is not always the case. And the solo sections often are not very long, you know? So even though like you might be playing over a vamp, like one chord, essentially, let's call it one chord, you know, if, if I'm, blowing over a section like that most of the time i get to the a few of the things that the different directions that i want to go over that chord and i don't necessarily have to go eight minutes like coltrane you know what i mean because that's basically never going to happen and that really has more to do with the ethos and the sound and the genre of this band and you know to that end i I think justin was saying something about miles's 60s band and i think about james brown as a good example like the way that you know fred wesley plays you know or maceo parker plays in that band you know there's a there's a vocabulary there and and if i were to say one more thing it's kind of like i'm just thinking i like have to like talk to like younger improvisers or even like improvisers who are not so young about the importance of recognizing when like really being able to understand. And I think it's a thing that you understand in your ear and understand from really listening to music and really, really listening and absorbing music. And that is understanding when certain types of languages are appropriate and when they're not. Cause I really, really one of my major pet peeves is hearing people play bebop specific language in context when it is not appropriate. It sounds, it immediately sounds wrong because you know, You know, the good thing is, like, you know, like, that's that I mean, that language is so specific. And it's beautiful that those group of men, Charlie Parker, Dizzy Gillespie, Thelonious Monk, like, created this language that basically from scratch. That was like, this is a thing now that we're going to do that has this the character of that language is so strong, you know, and that's awesome but it's so strong that when you start to put it into a different context, it just sounds completely inappropriate, you know?
0: So maybe a follow-up question for, for all of you guys with this is who are some inspirations for you that have helped you elevate the music that you guys are making in terms of like this uh, language vocabulary standpoint, like who are some people that come to mind?
3: I mean, I think I would have to say, you know, Roy Hargrove would probably be, you know, on all of our lists. um, Bernard Ride.
2: I was just going to mention him because he had a way of, uh, he had a way of, you know, he wouldn't play, he wouldn't play bebop over, over uh, like a funk Groove, but like he had a way of letting you know that he was very, very uh, versed in the language, you know. And, and he would play like the funkiest shit, and it had this like hint of bebop in it. But like he would never, he would never do what you know what Moz was you know saying earlier about bringing bebop into the wrong context. But he he had this cool way of kind of blending the two.
3: Well, yeah, and the the thing is really interesting, too, and this is why I kind of mentioned Roy, and there's obviously so many examples, but Roy was this guy, you know, like, towards the end of his life, I would go to Smalls, and he would be there. Like, he would be there, like, every night when he was in town, and it was the most interesting experience because he'd be surrounded by all these, like, 20-something kids who would just be playing everything they knew and making zero music. And then he would stand up and play two choruses of of not fiery trumpet playing. If you were somebody who didn't know anything about music, you'd walk into the room and be like, Who's this like sort of you know guy that looks really tired, you know? But if you really listen to what he was playing, there would be he'd be playing basically between our low F sharp and like C in the staff and he played two courses and it would be the language that was in there how deliberate he was with the language it was like he was teaching a lesson right then and there and everything that he played was the most killing shit you heard you know um, and it was a maturity thing and it was a it was an artistry thing and it was like a soul thing and I and I'm getting to my point with this is I think Roy was one of these guys that figured out a way to because he was so deeply versed and so he was such a student of bebop really, you know more than probably all of us in, in a certain way I I I feel like he was so in love with that language, but he figured out a way to bring it into context like D'Angelo's music and the R H Factor, to bring it into these contexts where he was using that 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 understanding of that harmony and those melodic gestures and he understood it so well that he could bring it into these contexts and make it sound new Hmm.
0: I think one thing that's interesting to me too I can hear when people try to play funk music but like all they know how to play is um uh how do I put this? It doesn't feel very deep to me. Like it just, it's kind of like they're, they're blowing over, I don't know, this set of changes or something. And like, they might be playing some okay vocabulary with it, but it it doesn't have the depth to me that Roy would play with over that same set of changes or that progression.
1: It's, to me, it's the rhythmic intention. It's like the same as a drummer. It's like, again, going back to Keith Carlock, the reason the group sounds so heavy, or a guy like Bernard. It's like, when a lot of people study bebop, and you study the Omnibook, and you study the vocabulary, 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 licks, what's he doing on the two five, this and that. And it's like, no. Nope. When are we ever talking about rhythm? When are we ever talking about the feel of something? And where, where does it go? Where does it go within the beat? Like, can you sing the shit? If you can't sing it, then who gives a fuck? Like, right. it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. Like none of, none of the vocabulary even matters. And that's the reason Maceo's stuff feels so good. Fred Wesley feels so good. It's, it's where it, it exists within the beat, like within the sphere. And it's not about the notes. I mean, the notes are good too, but... <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a relationship. The thing that I doesn't get talked about is, there, particularly in bebop, there's a relationship between the rhythm and the notes. You know? I mean, I'm thinking of like... Like, just the articulations. The way that, like... The way that, okay, well, I'm going to end on the sharp 11 here. And it's like there's a there's a it, there's a whole feeling that goes along with that. It's not just like oh they did this thing because that's what they did. It's like no, it like has like a there's a comedy there's like that's in the the feeling you know. Um, and I don't know, it's weird. It's like it's almost like if you zoom in too much, like you miss that. <laughs> you gotta zoom back out sometimes and just like pre, like hear the thing and no and it, it, it's again it's like what I was talking about these different intelligences. Like in, in the in the AT world, we can talk about it as open focus. The narrow focus is like really focusing in on one thing. Open focus is allowing all the other things that are happening around you to also enter your consciousness so that you can have context for the thing that you're focusing on, you know? So I think that, you know, that if you put yourself in that frame of mind, you won't play goofy stuff that doesn't like feel good in the context that you're playing in Mm. and you have to have listened to things that are that you have to have you know of course as we all know
2: Mm. as a musician who listened to a lot of bebop and like loves it i also feel like at some point I had to make it a point to venture out and stop listening to it and listen to other stuff. And I think as, you know, horn players get trapped in that zone a lot, I think. Especially now when it's like, the the only place that I can think of where bebop is prevalent is like at Smalls in New York. And it's like, how prevalent is it? I don't know. But I know it's there. But like, I can't think of another place where like, it's like super around so it's like if your advice to younger people venture out and you know listen to stuff that's not bebop that involves your instrument even if you want to go that far
0: Hmm. i mean i feel like you guys and snarky puppy in general i guess from my vantage point i feel like younger musicians are more apt to do what you just said, Jay, because of the kind of music that you guys make. Because they're seeing you guys as as sort of a beacon out there of like okay, this is this is a way to like put these all this kind of music that we love into something else and that doesn't sound like bebop anymore, you know. And it doesn't sound exactly like James Brown or it doesn't sound exactly like Erica Badu, or, it does, you know, it's it's something else.
2: Well, I, th- I think, you know, a lot of people, I think, make the mistake of putting Snarky Puppy in a category that it's not in, and that is, like, jammy, vamp-based stuff. Like, harmonically speaking, the band is more involved than any <laughs> band out there right now. Like, and it's always been very harmonically driven and it's because everyone in the band has listened to that bebop that we speak of that that came from Bach, you know, that came from all the stuff way back that I, I feel like we all did what I'm suggesting and, you know, listen, ventured out and listened to other music and still had the drive to apply that harmonic knowledge to like groove oriented stuff you know like combining the two of of groove and harmony you know all the you know pop music is pop music and i love pop music it's just not very harmonically driven you take a pop yeah there's there's
3: plenty of plenty of times when it's not harmonically
2: it's not the harmony that I love about it, right? You know, like yeah, yeah. Pl- plenty of that going on. But uh, but as far as Snarky puppy music goes, you know, like it's it's very harmonically driven and there's some really deep harmony going on and it's it's yeah. very through composed. Like all you know, uh, the, the rehearsals and stuff can get very very particular about who's playing what and, and it's yeah. It's it's not it's it's not I I'm just saying that to say that it's it's not at all uh, uh, a jammy vampy you know situation
3: and it and it's going back to the the whole like you know and this is again like kind of speaking to younger musicians that you know for younger musicians to recognize that again it's that Count Basie thing and it's that like blue collar chops thing where it's like there's all this information that we have in our head and then what needs to happen for a band to develop a sound that people are like, I don't know where that came from is all these like hours on stage experimenting with like, like, and, and writing a lot too. And that's another thing where there's a, there's that thread where it's like, that's how the bebop language was codified was through the compositions. And of course they're improvising in that language, which is part of the composition, but like, you know, All of the that's the thing that's really fun and beautiful about bebop is that the language right there in the song, in the melody, you know, and so I think all these hours of developing like what Snarky Puppies like sound is in terms of, you know, I mean, we've got 14 albums and almost 20 years of touring, you know, it didn't happen overnight. We, Bob Reynolds turned to me on stage a couple of days ago and Mike was saying something about to the Steely Dan audience, you know, you guys probably haven't ever heard of us, but you know, we've been around for, we've got 14 albums. Bob Reynolds go, turns to me and he goes classic 15 year overnight success story. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, and that's beautiful in a way. Like what's beautiful about it to me is that everyone, everyone, Regardless of their like stardom at like music school, has the ability to if if they keep directing their energy in the same way, and if a group of musicians, young, you know, musicians who are in college, spend you know if it's a quintet or something, spend somehow figure out a way by. Busting their butt to spend, you know, six years on the road together. Like, and they say, they write music and they say, we want to experiment and see what happens. I, I think it's almost like an inevitability, you know, that something is going to happen that's going to be different. That's going to be like a gumbo that takes that time that all those ingredients become something that has never happened before because of that time. That's the crucial element for sure.
0: Man, I don't know about you guys, but I feel like that was the perfect way to wrap up season two. Mike, Justin, Jay, it was so much fun chatting. Thanks for hanging, for making it work while you guys are on the road, doing your thing. It was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed all the different things that we got into in that conversation. So thank you guys. I appreciate it. Thank you all for listening this season. It's been a great one. We've had so many great conversations and I feel continually privileged to get to chat with these amazing people and to get to share these conversations with you guys. It's always so inspiring for me and I'm sure it is for you too. If you guys haven't already gotten a Trumpet Summit tea, make sure you go to my website, john-raymond.com. Pick one up before they run out. Support the podcast if you can. Thanks again for listening this season. Take care. We'll see you soon.